Well, good morning and uh, welcome to church. I'm Rowan, one of the pastors here. I want to add my welcome to Lachlan's. Uh, if you want to leave your Bibles open, uh, this part of God's Word is, is fantastic at helping us to think through something that's vitally important to us. It struck me that we live at a time like no other in the history of the world uh, where there is so much advice and strategy on offer. I don't know if you've, you've gone on the internet and, and you hear all these kind of places you can go to find 10 steps to be a better this or that. You can find courses and books and TED Talks that will change your life, uh, that will kind of help you to fix any problems you've got and develop your inner potential, help you to be the most productive and pre- uh, prepared and fulfilled you can be in life. There's advice coming at us from everywhere. Uh, but all these kind of self-help guides that we come across... I think they kind of fit into um, two or three camps. Firstly, there's a number of mechanical solutions where they say, here's the technique, do these things and life will be better, more fulfilled. Uh, you'll live a happy life if you just do these three, these three things before breakfast every day. Right? Who's read that one? Okay, maybe no one. Um, good. Secondly, there's, there's morality solutions where life will be better if you could just be a better person. And so work at yourself to be a better person, and then you'll be more fulfilled and you'll be able to reach your inner potential. And there's some kind of um, mystical solutions or magical solutions, where if you, you come to this way of life, this kind of this inner power within you kind of takes over and you can tap into some sort of view. But as we come to the Bible, we hear Jesus as we listen to what he has to say, we find that Christianity has something to say to us about ourselves and our purpose and how we grow. And it's something to say that's incredibly powerful and incredibly liberating compared to the advice of the world around us. It's, it's far better than some mere mechanical or moral or mystical solution that our world offers us. And in this next section of the Gospel of John, Jesus gives not only the goal of life, but how to get there, how to be who he wants you and me to be. But I want to start with a warning this morning, because what Jesus has to say to us today, it's pretty easy to understand. There's a brilliant illustration that runs the whole way through. We kind of get what he's saying. Oh, but it's hard to do. (laughs) It's hard to do. So as we listen to this, to Jesus' word today, make sure you reflect on what God is saying I need to do out of this, to respond to this. This, this passage has hit me exactly where I needed to hear it this week. Uh, like most weeks, I just get to stand up and apply God's Word to me, uh, which is really helpful and have people listen. So, but this week, I felt especially like God is kind of helping me to see where is your security? Where is your life goal and purpose? So I want to invite you this morning to... Open your hearts to let God do open heart surgery on you. Why don't we pray that God would do that now? Let's pray. Lord, we come to you and to your word, remembering that you are the creator of all things, that you know all, that you are in control of all, as we've reflected this morning on your greatness, your majesty, your hugeness, and how small we are. We know that as you see us, you see our brokenness and our flaws, and yet you still choose to love us and speak to us. So we pray that as we come to your word this morning, that by your spirit, you would cut out our complacency and our sin, and that you would show us and fill us with the greater truth of your son. Please work in us, we ask, in your son's name. Amen. We'll have roughly four points. The first two will be longer. The last two will be shorter. So that kind of helps you as we go through. But as Jesus speaks to his disciples, just 
hours before his death, at this point in, in John's gospel, he lays out his goal, his purpose for his disciples. And remember, this is no accident. This has been the plan of God since the beginning of time. Jesus isn't like, oh no, I'm about to die. Quick, I've got to tell him something. He's saying right now, this is what I want to send you off with. If you want, he's giving a, a first century TED talk to his small group of followers saying, this is how you need to go forward. This is what your goal for life is. He's, he's about to die in their place and rise again. In just hours, he would die. Three days later, rise, then ascend to the right-hand side of the Father. And he prepares his disciples to see what their goal in life ought to be. And I thought it was worth stopping for a moment and pondering, what is the goal of your life? What is your goal in life? I don't know if you've ever thought through that question. But who are you trying to be? What in life are you trying to achieve? If you got to the end of your life and looked back, you'd be like, yes, I've done what I set out to achieve. See, it struck me that so often we go through life and we all have goals. They're just lying under the surface. They're things that are propelling us to make decisions and choices about life and what we value. But we often don't think about them. We often don't go, what am I actually trying to do? As Sarah and I were preparing to plant Auckland EV as a church, um, we were still back in Australia and we were thinking through, or I was thinking through, what would the vision be for our church? And I come up with these great three words, captivated, grounded, growing, you might have heard of them. And I was kind of thinking through, these are great words that talk through where we're going as a church and what our goal is, to see people captivated in Christ, grounded in the gospel, growing in maturity in number. And I was pretty happy with that and went along to like a workshop on helping set vision uh, for, for business, Christian business leaders and church leaders. And the first question this kind of business guru asked me on setting vision was, you might have a vision for your church, but what's your vision for your life? I just felt like I was standing there naked. Like, oh, here I am with this great thing that I've thought through what this church is going to be like, but have I actually thought through what my life is going to be like? What is my goal in life? I want to challenge you this morning and suggest that maybe it might be worth every single one of us thinking through and writing down, what is your goal for your life, for your family? As you get to the end of your life, as you look back, what, what do you want your life to have been about? We've all got focuses and goals, but are they actually clear and on the surface? What is your goal in life? Well, as Jesus prepares his disciples for his departure, he lays out the disciples' goal of their life. It might be helpful in framing how we should think through our goals in life. He says this, John 15, verse 8. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Jesus calls the disciples to be fruitful and faithful followers of Him. Fruitful and faithful followers of Him. That's what He's calling them to do. He says that's what glorifies God. That's what makes God look good. When he works through schmucks like you disciples, like us, when God works through us to see us standing firm in Jesus, being fruitful to the end. That's why we're here. And Jesus says in verse 11 that it's glorious. Look at this. I have told you these things so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be complete. Being fruitful and faithful followers of Jesus brings great joy, he says, and brings God great joy. It brings Jesus great joy. This kind of purpose for the disciples is not some drudgery to live life by, to kind of go, oh, I've got to do this stuff. This Jesus has kind of twisted my arm and I've got to live this way. He's saying, this is what life's about. This is what you were made for. 
This is how to live in the fullness of our God. To be truly human is to glorify God being fruitful and faithful. It's how to make God happy. You hear that? That His joy might be in us. And how to experience true happiness. That your joy might be complete. And all of that begins being a fruitful and faithful follower of Jesus with point number one, recognizing who Jesus is. So number one, who is Jesus? As Jesus starts this next little bit of his talk here, he says, John 15 verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Now, throughout this whole section, Jesus is going to use this illustration of a vine to explain our purpose in life, what we're here for and, and who he is and who we are. And you've got to understand, it's to an agricultural culture where people have got vineyards and, and they're growing um, kind of crops around them. It's a vivid illustration for them in that time because they're immersed in that agricultural culture for their survival. Like they can't just jump online and order countdown delivery and some guy rocks up with some boxes. You're like, thanks. They actually got to tend to the things that are, that are there and seeing their, their vines grow and their cattle looked after, they're involved in the produce of the land. You, you had to live off the produce of the land. And so Jesus uses this illustration to think through what life is about and uses it for them. But the illustration of a vine is more than just a helpful image to explain what Jesus is going to say. Because everything Jesus says comes in a context of what God had said previously of what has gone before. And, and the vine is far more than just an image for that culture. So we're going to spend a moment thinking deeply about what this vine is. So the Old Testament, the vine is a common symbol for Israel, for God's people. God speaks of His people as a vine that is cultivated and planted and taken out of Egypt and, and put into a promised land. He uses vine imagery to talk about the health of His people and whether they're fruitful and, and at times of pruning and cutting off and the judgment that can come. Now, there are so many places throughout the Scriptures where we see that Israel, God's people, are the vine. But I want to just go to one to help us see this. So we're going to go to Psalm 80, and you'll see it on the screen. Speaking to God, the psalmist says this, You dug up a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared a place for it, and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered by its shade, and the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out sprouts towards the sea and shoots towards the river. And he's talking about Israel as a nation, bringing them out of Egypt and into the promised land. It's the people of God. He planted them in their own land and Israel grew into a great nation. And it was a great time of blessing, just like God promised would happen to Abraham. He would have a land and a nation and blessing. And God did it. But listen to what the psalmist says next. Why, God, verse 12, why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its fruit? Boars from the forest tear at it, and creatures from the field feed on it. Verse 16, it was cut down and burned, they, and they perish at the rebuke of your countenance. So the psalmist is here reflecting that this, this vineyard isn't as it ought to be. God broke down the walls protecting it. He stopped protecting this vine. Other nations came past and plundered its blessings. It was cut down, remember, because of their rebellion. The rebuke of God's countenance because Israel were not fruitful. They did not take God at His word. And so God destroyed some of Israel and kept Israel getting smaller and smaller. And the psalmist cries out in verse 14, Return, God of armies. Look down from heaven and see. Take care of this vine, the root your right hand planted, the sun you made strong for yourself. 
It's a plea to God. Restore Israel this vine despite their rebellion. Help them to return to him and revive the vine. Look at verse 17. Let your hand be with the man at your right hand. With the son of man you have made strong for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. As Jesus steps into this agricultural context, he speaks of an image that all Israel would have known was referring to Israel as the people of God, the historic people of God. And throughout the scriptures, whenever historic Israel are referenced using this vine imagery, it continues, God continues to show their failure to produce good fruit. And with that, the threat of being torn down and God's judgment on the nations and being cut down and burnt. But now, right at this moment, just before Jesus is about to die and rise again, he uses that imagery to point out who he is. I am the true vine. In contrast to all of Israel's failure, Jesus is coming saying, I am the true vine, the true Israel, the true people of God, the place where all of God's promises to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob are fulfilled. I'm the one that brings good fruit. I am what Israel could never be. I am the true Israel. And John's already shown us throughout the story so far that Jesus has, in principle, superseded the temple, destroyed the temple in three days and you rise it again. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the true tabernacle. He's talked about the Jewish feasts finding their fulfillment in Jesus and Moses that was always pointing to Jesus and various holy sites find their fulfillment in Jesus. Here, Jesus is showing us that he supersedes Israel as the very focus of the people of God. He is the people of God. I kind of did some illustrations to help us get here. I hope you can see them. Number one, here's a picture of Abraham. I don't know if you can read that, but that's Abraham. He's there. God gives him promises. And from that point on, the people of God, there was no people before Abraham. God makes him, who wasn't a nation, into a nation. And the promises of God then kind of grow as the people grows. And it grows up until the point of the high point of the kingdom where we get David and Solomon. So we should be at the next one. Okay, there's the top. David and Solomon at the top where the people of God are huge and the nations are flocking in. They're in the promised land. Everything's going great. But they reject God. And what happens is the people of God shrink. The next slide. And you see it kind of shrink down to a point where there's only a remnant left. God's been silent for 400 years and they're going, what is happening to these promises? They want to rebuild the temple, but it's not kind of looking great. Uh, in Ezra and Nehemiah, it's just the walls and they're sad, the people who knew of the old temple and it's not as it ought to be. But then we meet this guy called Jesus, or I am. And you see him there with a cool crown. And so at that point, Jesus comes and says, I am Israel. I am the people of God. I'm the one who has done this perfectly. I am the true son of God. And then what we see is that the whole world can come to God by trusting in Jesus. People can be part of the true Israel by trusting in him. And so going forward, we see that all the people of God are now those who trust in the true Israel, Jesus. He is the true vine. He is the person of God, the one who bears fruit, who is faithful and fruitful. So he says, as you think through what it is to live a fulfilled life, you need to come to me because I am the one in whom all God's promises to Israel are fulfilled. All of them. Now, just to make sure I'm not off the, the charts here, uh, that's exactly what Paul says in Galatians 3. So have a look, Galatians 3.16. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, 
but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. So Paul's like, the promises God gave to Abraham were all given to the true Israel, Jesus. And then those who are in Jesus get to benefit from the blessings of Him. And that's what Paul goes on to say in verse 25 of Galatians 3. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian of the law. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Now, that sons of God language is the same language God used in Psalm 80 to speak of Israel. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew or Greek, there is neither slave or free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are a Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Jesus is saying, all the promises of God come through me. Living a fulfilled life and recognizing your purpose in life needs to be recognizing you need to come to Jesus, the true vine. The one in whom God has blessed, the one in whom God will work through. The key to knowing what we are here for is knowing who Jesus is. He is the true vine. He is the true Israel. He is the fruitful son of God. So then, Jesus' illustration continues with his vine imagery to say, point number two, we are the branches. Point number two, the disciples, or we are the branches. Look with me at verse five. I am the vine, and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he's thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. See how strongly Jesus is helping them to realize in this Jewish context that you need to come to Jesus to have any sort of life that is fruitful. The key to fruitful living and the key uh, to, be who and to be who we were made to be and to do what we were made to do is to see our identity as people that are in Jesus, connected to Jesus, a branch of Jesus. And by faith, we who, who, many of us aren't Jews, who are Gentiles, we get to be part of the true people of God. We get to experience the fulfillment of all God's promises to Israel because we're united to the true Israel, Jesus. And if we are to live fruitful lives, Jesus says we must remain faithful to Him. We must remain in Him. Throughout the Old Testament, God's people uh, trusted in God's word through Moses and the prophets. They had to listen to them. Now, Jesus is saying, a fuller and better word is here, and it's me. It's Jesus. Through him comes life. Through him and because of him, we can live fruitful, fruitful and faithful lives. But only if we're connected to him. Just like the vine of Israel was cut off and thrown into the fire because they disobeyed the word of God and only a small remnant of that vine was left until the time of Jesus, so too those who think they can have life, fulfillment and fruitfulness apart from Jesus. They're not connected to the vine. They cannot see those things happen. I don't know if you've ever had a live Christmas tree. I kind of like the smell of, of Christmas trees, but only for a time. It gets really annoying. So I'm, I'm like, no, let's not get a live Christmas tree. But after Christmas, you drive around and you see the live Christmas trees that are no longer alive. They're kind of lying out the front. In fact, I saw one this week still somewhere. Just kind of, you might have seen it lying around out the front of someone's house. I can't remember where it was. I was trying to remember. And, and this Christmas tree that was once green and looking fresh, even though it had been cut off from its root, 
still looking good for a little bit, after a while is now totally dead. Jesus is saying, you might look like you have signs of life right now, but unless you are connected to me, you're ultimately dead. You have no life. Your goal and purpose in life, the key to fruitful living, you've got none of that because you're not connected to me because all of those things come from me because I am the true Israel. I am the one in whom God's promises come. So he's saying, in order to live a fulfilled life, you need to remain in Jesus. That's point number three. Remain in Jesus. See, sometimes we can slip into a view of Christianity that sees our life as kind of a set of mechanical rules. You know, to be a Christian, I need to make sure I, I do this and I do that. I walk old ladies across the road. I read my Bible daily from 4 a.m. to 5.15. Um, you know, and we can have these lists of probably good things but it becomes mechanical and we just need to do this and do that. I need to make sure I go to church every week. So I come in and I clock my go to church card and I clock it on the way out. And I'm like, I've done that. I'm good. And, and we can slip into seeing Christianity as a set of mechanical rules to help me look like or be a Christian. An external set of guidelines. Or uh, there's sometimes we slip into a view of Christianity that says, I need to just be a good person. And so we fall into the, the trap of saying, I just need to work at being the best person I can be, to have good morals, make sure I pay my taxes and on time, that, 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 I'm, that I'm generous in the way that I work. I've got to really work on my character to be the best I can be. We find ourselves thinking that the key to life is to do this or to do that or to be a better moral person. We put on... Uh, the code of discipline and duty and say, that's what I'm going to be like. I'm just going to stick hard at these things, trying to see from the outside us kind of molded and shaped into the likeness of Jesus. But what Jesus is saying to his disciples and to you and me is you, you can't go outside in. The key to life, to fruitfulness and fulfillment, the only way to have life and to escape the fire that the dead branches get thrown into is to attach ourselves to him. In such a way that his sustenance, his life flows through us. See, it's not a, a transactional relationship that we had to have with Jesus. You know, that kind of relationship that says, well, I'll kind of follow what you say if you then bring me good stuff later. Like a bargaining chip. You know, if, if I go to church every week for a year, you've got to make my life go well. Deal? Deal. All right, let's go. It's, it's not like that. Jesus here describes our relationship with him as, as organic and, and, and symbiotic, I think. It's like a fetus in the womb connected to its mother through the umbilical cord. So God's children are to be connected to his son. Our life, our sustenance comes from him, our purpose, our lifeblood. Our, our, our life itself is Jesus' life. For those that are connected to him, that remain in him, we have life and purpose. In verse 4, Jesus says, Remain in me. You can hear him saying it to his disciples. I'm about to leave. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on a vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. How are you going at remaining in Jesus? It's easy to understand, isn't it? Yep, I've got to be connected to Him. But what does that look like to stay connected to Him? To stay plugged into our Creator, to let His lifeblood pump through us, His purpose, His priorities. 
Well, we need to contrast it to other options. Firstly, we need to ask ourselves, is my life, is my purpose in living the pulsating purpose of Jesus flowing through me? Is my purpose Jesus' purpose? Is that what I'm living for? Is He who I'm living for? Um, are my actions driving the same directions as my Creator? Finding my fulfillment and satisfaction in what my Father has given me. Recognizing His Word that comes, the good Word that He has given us. That Word of life and that His Spirit brings to life and convicts and change and molds and shapes from the inside out. Or am I trying to plug into other life sources? Am I trying to go, you know what, this Jesus stuff's great, but I think I need to get my sustenance over here and over here and over here. It's so easy when life gets hard to think, oh, if only this thing happened, if only I had more holidays, then I'd be more fulfilled, or I'd have more life, or I'd live a more fruitful life, or if only I had more money. I'll tell you a true story from this week. I was feeling quite frustrated that we still haven't been able to find a building as a church. I'm like, it'd be so great, Lord. I don't get why not yet. And I often look at the kind of building sites where commercial property is for sale. Um, and before I kind of look at it, I pray. So I opened up, the, the, it was, I think it was Trade Me at this point, the Trade Me commercial one. Uh, and just before I looked at my save search on, on properties, I went, Lord, please provide a building for us for your glory. Right? And, and then I opened my eyes and there's a building that was too small. Okay, And then the next one down was an ad for Lotto. And I'm like, it's a sign. No, it's not. That's ridiculous. And all of a sudden, I'm tempted to go, you know what? God could provide a $50 million building like that. Just give me eight numbers or seven numbers or however many it is. I don't know. Uh, And there's this sense where suddenly I was like, you know, is this wrong? I'm like looking up John Piper. What does John Piper think about, you know? (laughs) Uh, Interestingly, John Piper says, I won't accept any money from Lotto in our church ever. Interesting line. Uh, but I just found myself going, oh, there's this blockage here. And yes, I've been depending on God. Yes, I trust God. He's in control of the world. But I want to find my fulfillment and purpose and fruitfulness somewhere else. And the temptation creeps in. The next day I did it again. And you know what happened? Same lotto ad. As I prayed. I'm like, it really is a sign. Circumstances are dumb in that they do not speak. God will provide We do it in so many different areas, though, don't we? Where is it for you today? A better job, then I'll be more fruitful and faithful. More fulfilling relationship? The promise of rest or an overseas holiday? A commitment, a a a discipline to do more and to achieve more? There'll be so many ways that we want to plug into a sustenance other than Jesus. But Jesus says, remain in me. Remain in me, for if you are disconnected from me, you are dead and ready to be thrown into the fire. To remain in Jesus is to come to the vine, to make sure that our reason for doing everything is His reason for life, to make Him our very life. What am I here for? To to live to glorify God, to be fruitful. That's what Jesus tells us. For that's who He made us to be. And what Jesus tells us to do is that for those that are in Christ, that those are connected to that vine... God, the great gardener, prunes us so we might endure. Now, this is another easy to understand but hard to endure truth in this passage. He's saying if you are in Christ and you're connected to the vine, then you know what? God the Father, the gardener, will come along and He will prune you. For those who are in Jesus, God prunes to make more fruitful, to bring about more glory. 
Now, whenever I've seen gardeners do pruning, it's always a horrific affair. I don't know if you've ever seen it. A gardener knows what they're doing. We once had our lemon tree pruned in the backyard. Uh, and Sarah and I were out, and the landlord wanted to get it pruned. And so someone had come, and we came home. And um, I can't remember if it was both of us, but I remember Sarah saying, like, it's almost dead. Like, it's almost not there. And they're out there, like, it was this massive lemon tree. And it's just like this naked kind of couple of things in the middle that is going at it. And I'm like, you're going to kill it, not prune it. Like, it looks like there's nothing left. And look on the ground, like, all these branches, they're green. Like, they look good. There's kind of green foliage on them. Why are you cutting them off? And pruning's like that, isn't it? You cut off those things so that we might grow and have more fruit. Now, to the unknowing eye, it looks like the gardener's made a massive mistake and cut off things that he ought not to have made, right? But isn't it true that a good gardener knows what things a tree or a plant can afford to lose, or in fact needs to lose, so it might produce more fruit? It's true that pruning hurts, isn't it? The places that, we, that are pruned usually weep. The plant looks ugly for a while, naked. But a skilled gardener never cuts off anything that wouldn't have been a loss to keep. He never cuts off anything that wouldn't have been a loss to keep. What the great gardener God is doing to those who remain connected by Jesus is saying, that thing you thought you needed, you don't need. <laughs> Gone. Oh. You don't need any more of that. You don't need this or that part of you. They're parts that probably we like. We might have put time into cultivating and saying, I like this part of this vine. And God's saying, not fruitful. And it hurts. He's saying, not fruitful, not helpful for you to remain in Jesus. What you need to do is cut off all these areas that you're growing big and draw your sustenance from the vine, from Him. And He will make you fruitful and He will bring you joy. See, He doesn't grow us with some external rules and regulations from the outside in. He doesn't say you need to keep growing uh, just by doing this or doing that or getting the branches of the tree and just trying to hold it in certain places. Now, I'm aware you can do that with a vine. Uh, But it's, it's more like He grows us from the inside out, not with mechanical rituals or moral commands or ecstatic experiences. He grows us from recognizing who Jesus is, knowing Him, from us hearing His Word and letting His Spirit shape and mould us, He remakes us into people who will be fruitful. But like I said before, too often we try and change externally, looking all great on the outside, rather than from the inside out, from being connected to the vine. I think we're more like metal in this instance. You know how you can get some metal and you can bend it into different shapes? Sometimes with metal you bend it into a shape and then it just springs back, you're like, oh, it didn't work. Other times you do it enough then it snaps, because you're like, ah because it's not really as malleable as you think it need to be. Now, the way to reshape metal is to melt it down and then to recast it in the shape you're trying to do it in. And that's what God is doing to us by being connected to the vine, to reshape us through being connected to the life source that is Jesus. Too often we try to be good moral people through our external means rather than being remade and reforged into the likeness of Jesus. Sometimes I think what we do is we think through the external fruitfulness as well. And we say, you know what, I'm just going to try and focus on being fruitful. And we do that without being connected to the, to the vine either. We go, look at what I can do for God. 
you know, I can do this thing, or I can serve in these ways. And we kind of bring along our branch to Jesus and say, look, Jesus, have you seen all the fruit of my branch? You want me in your vine? And we kind of then say, why don't you plug me in? And look, you'll get all this. Whereas Jesus here is saying, no, no, there's no fruit. You're dreaming unless you are connected to me, for I am the one that brings the fruit. Naked we come to the vine, and the great gardener grafts us in, like Paul speaks of in Romans. If the gardener has you in a season of pruning right now, hear Jesus' warning and love to you. Don't go looking for another vine. Don't don't go, oh, this hurts too much. I'm going to find sustenance somewhere other than Jesus. Draw your sustenance from Him. And if you are sitting there today thinking out and checking out the things of Jesus, don't, don't hear that coming to Him will be easy, but oh, it'll be good. And it will be for your goodness and your faithfulness and your fruitfulness. And that will be life lived to the full. Jesus says in verse 7 of chapter 15 of John, If you remain in me and my word remains in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Or verse 9, As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Remain in my love. Hear Jesus' word. Focus your eyes on me. Be captivated by me. Remain in me, disciples. Remain in me, Evie. Don't wander. Don't look for sustenance anywhere else. Let His purposes throb throughout our lives. Let His love overwhelm us. Let His Word by His Spirit shape and mold us from the inside out. As Jesus says these words, He's about to walk to the cross, where He will be cut off from the Father for a time, before He is raised to life, bringing to life those that are in Him. That is love. That is where we get our purpose. Jesus died for you. He died for you. He took your place on the cross. He loved you so much that He took the penalty for our sin. So as you're faced with the life around us that's offering so much, see what has been offered in Jesus and recognize who He is, the true vine, and be fruitful. Well, point number four, what does it mean to be fruitful? What does it mean to be a fruitful follower? Well, the first thing to note is that this Fruit is the consequence of prayer in Jesus' name. It comes through praying in Jesus' name. He says, pray, ask in my name and it will be given to you. It comes from a relationship with God and asking for God to provide in line with His will, in line with His purpose and to the Father's glory. So look at verse 16. Jesus says this, I appointed you to go and produce fruit. And that your fruit should remain, it should be lasting, it should last forever. So that whatever you ask in the Father, whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give you. He's saying you are set up to be fruitful and to have fruit that lasts forever. What lasts forever? Anything that's connected to the vine. Seeing people come to know Jesus and understand His word and live that out in whatever way possible. Whatever gifts and skills and abilities God has given us to use them for His glory in the workplace, at uni, in our families, to live out and speak of the love Jesus has for us and to come to Him prayerfully, asking Him to do that. I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask in the Father, the Father in my name, He will give you. And then verse 8, My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit 
and prove to be my disciples. Now, throughout this whole section, fruit is everything that is the product of effective prayer in Jesus' name. That includes obedience to what he says, letting his word shape and mold us from the inside out, verse 10. Or verse 11, experiencing joy. Going, Jesus has died in my place. I, I know what the purpose of life is. It's to serve Him and be fruitful for Him and let Jesus' plans and purpose through His Word shape everything that I do. That is joyful life and that brings joy to God. Verse 11. Or verse 12, it's, it's to love one another. As we live out the way that Jesus has loved us, we then love the world by caring for them and speaking the truth of the gospel to them. And as a witness to the world, in verse 16, fruit that might last. The fruit is nothing less than the outcome of persevering dependence on the vine. Driven by trusting Jesus, embracing all of our lives and producing that witness of who Jesus is and what he's done. And all of it comes from being connected to Jesus. What God is saying to us, to me, to us all today is this. Trust Jesus. Your sustenance is in Him. Focus on your connection to Him and what He provides. Focus on producing fruit in line with His plans and purposes, on being who He wants you to be. By listening to His Word, remaining in His Word, remaining in His love. It's as if God is inviting us, come and speak to me. I'm just longing for you to ask me to do things that are in line with my plans and purposes through Jesus. Just ask, come on, come. Find your joy in being connected to Jesus. Remain in my love and grow. That brings glory to God. That's what fruitfulness is. And that's why as a church, we, we want to be captivated by Christ having His sustenance flow through us. We want to be grounded in His Word, seeing who He is through His Word by His Spirit, in obedience to His Word. And we want to be growing. We want to be people who are fruitful for, for God's glory. Expressing that in prayerful dependence on Him. Let me ask you today, are there parts of your life that the gardener is cutting off, that you're trying to hold on to? You're trying to say, no, no, I need that, I need that. Are there parts of your life today that, that are holding you back from fruitfully following Jesus? And seeing more people come to know Him, they're like, oh, I could do that, but no, it's, it's too much, or, I, I, I won't. We don't need to pretend to be fine about the weeping wounds God leaves on us. That's why he's given us to one another to share and walk alongside one another, to share our struggles and be open about our hardships, but also to drive us to be dependent on the vine for the present and the future. How encouraging is it that God has loved us in his son, that Jesus is the true vine and that we get to remain in him. We get to have God's word and work flow through us that we might be fruitful that we get to boldly live with all that we have, that others might come to know Jesus, not in mechanical obedience or kind of moral, I've just got to be a good person or some mystical means, but by hearing the word of Jesus and living that out. That is our purpose. That is what faithful and fruitful life looks like. And so the question for us is, will you remain in Him? Let's pray.
Lord God, as we hear your word today, there is just so much goodness. It's so exciting to know that we can be connected to Jesus. That our sustenance and life comes from trusting, relying, depending in his word and your spirit in us, bringing that word to life. We ask that you would shape us each day into the likeness of your son. You'd show us in the areas that we don't want to be pruned, but we want to hold on to what we need to let go of. And you'd help us to live for your purposes, to trust you and find our sustenance and life in you. We ask that you would give us great joy as we do that, as a church and individually in families, that you would help us to think through how we might live for you and what an amazing privilege and joy that is. Please, Lord, by your Spirit, shape and mold us. In the name of your Son, we pray. Amen.